Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible. The presenting sponsor is Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. Stu, we're in the dead of the offseason, but there's still some interesting stuff to talk about, and I think we should talk about Division Three football. This will probably be, I think, actually, I know this will be the first time in the history of the Audible that our lead story is from Division Three. So why don't you tee it up? Because honestly, we were doing a conference call for The Athletic this morning as we tape on Wednesday, and you tweeted something out that caught my eye. Why don't you fill our listeners in if they haven't seen it yet? Okay, there's a Division Three conference, the MIAC, M-I-A-C. Well, there's a, not to be confused with the MIAC, that's an that's a HBCU conference in FCS, by the way. That's M-E-A-C. This is M-I-A-C. Okay, so I don't think it was completely out of nowhere if you were a fan of this conference or the schools, but the conference, this the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference sent out a press release. After extensive membership discussions, the University of St. Thomas will be involuntarily removed from membership in the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. The MEAC President's Council cites athletic competitive parity in the conference as a primary concern. St. Thomas will begin a multi-year transition immediately, and meanwhile, I was eligible to compete as a full member of the MEAC through the end of spring of 2021. Get this, Bruce. St. Thomas is one of the seven founding members of the conference, and they are kicking them out, not for being a drag on the conference like Temple and the Big East kicked out Temple about 15 years ago, but in fact, for being too good. Yeah, so I, when I saw that, I, I don't even know, you're, I don't know if you even mentioned it, who it was getting kicked out. And then I was like, wait a minute, St. Thomas, I know the head coach there. So just by chance, Glenn Caruso, who's a guy in his mid-40s, is a Northeast guy. We have a mutual friend, so I've known him for about 10 years. And just by chance, I think on multiple times, I've sat next to him on flights going down to the uh, football coaches conference. Very, very sharp guy. He's a guy I've always thought, okay, this guy I think would win at any level. I think he would win at... I knew he was in Division Three. I knew he was winning and very successful there. I think if he was at an FCS program, he'd win there. And I actually think if he was at the right FBS program, he'd probably win there too. Now, what Glenn has done there is his personality, from my read, is not like Steve Spurrier's necessarily. But remember back in the day when Spurrier had it rolling at Florida? He was not shy about putting up big numbers on the score. And St. Thomas was blowing people out. They almost won a game 100 to nothing. The other thing that is worth noting here is St. Thomas is much bigger school than a lot of these other schools. I think it's twice as big. So their resources are probably a little better. They're probably wired a little differently. But Glenn Caruso's record, and I think they were like 2-8 and eight the year before he got there. So it wasn't like they were always dominant. But since he's been there, they are 78-10 and 10 
in conference play and 118 and 19 overall. So we'll here, see. Here I, are the scores of their games. Now, I expected to go onto this schedule and see that they were undefeated last year, but no, they actually did lose two games. But the scores were 76 to 7, 62 nothing, 49 nothing, 46 7, 73 14. Then they lost to St. John's, who you might know that school from their legendary coach, John Gagliadari, who he retired, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. He retired a few years ago. They did lose to them 40-20. to Then they beat Carlton 68 nothing. St. Olaf 60 to nothing. Barnburner, though, with Gustavus Adolphus 14-13 and then lost to Bethel 21-15. By the way, St. Olaf did a lot better than the, better this year than they did last year. The sixty to nothing was much closer than the ninety-seven to nothing score in two thousand seventeen. So we don't know all the details of this, but uh, I don't know, man. Like, you remember when Florida State first got to the ACC? They went like the first eight years. I think they went like seventy-two and two against the rest of the conference, and nobody was like, "Hey, we need to kick Florida State out." What about just maybe getting better and beating them? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of joke about, hey, maybe the ACC should try to nudge Clemson out or whatnot. But at this point, you know, it's Division Three football, and I think they, most of the schools, probably their emphasis is much different than than somebody at the top of the food chain. So I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of reaction to just that, and I think you drill a little deeper and you, you hear from some folks who are in that conference who talk about just not getting beaten, but just getting beaten down the way they are and feel like they're tired of getting the score run up on them. And it was the presidents of the school were, and some of the athletic directors certainly decided to say enough's enough for us. Uh, we're small private liberal arts colleges and we don't need this anymore. You guys need to move on. Try fight somebody your own size. So it wasn't just the winning. It was the attitude. It was the running up the score. That's what it sounds like. And again, I'm sure we'll see a lot more details and, uh, that are going to come out about it. But always something going on in college football. My mailbag, a written mailbag, we're going to actually spend most of the podcast on questions that some people sent us that we found really interesting. But um, got an interesting one in the written mailbag today. He actually asked, he, he was referencing John Beeline leaving Michigan for the NBA, which was, I mean, it would have been a total stunner last year before he interviewed for the Pistons. But still, you know, pretty jarring. And he asked which coaches, if they left college for the NFL, would you not be surprised about at all? And I said, you know, it's the opposite. Most of them I would not be surprised at all. It's which ones would you be shocked if they did leave for the NFL? So I'm going to give you, and I only mm -hmm. came up with three. So tell me if you agree, and then we'll see if maybe you have some to add to the list. The three were Dabo, Brian Kelly, who did flirt with the NFL a few years ago, but has come out on record saying he's not interested anymore, and Mike Gundy. Those are three who I see as college lifers. I considered Chris Peterson, but he it was so mysterious. Like when he was at Boise, and it seemed like at one point he may never leave Boise. Then he did leave for Washington. Who knows? It's always possible. What about you? I'm not as sold on Dabo. I'm not saying he's going to leave, but I wouldn't rule anything out there. You know, he's clearly got a he's a very player friendly coach, and I think that style would probably appeal to a lot of people in the NFL. So I would say him. I definitely agree with you on Mike Gundy. I would throw out a couple of people. Now, age is kind of cheating this, but Mac Brown and Les Miles, I don't think they're ever coaching in the NFL. And then the name that came to me was Gus Malzahn. I just don't see Gus Malzahn as a fit in the NFL. As I was doing this, though, I kind of was mindful of 
you know, I'm only really concerned people who I think would actually get invited to go up to the NFL. I don't know that Gus Malzahn's going to get that call. Ouch. Ouch. Well, I, mean, I guess maybe if he had an, if he had another really great season, another SEC championship season, the interest might get peaked again. But he gets he had some pretty scathing. Um, did you see how some of the comments about Jared Stidham leading up to the draft? Yes, I actually had that. Him? I actually had. I don't even know if it's that. I think if Jared Stidham, and we'll see, he's with the Patriots now. If he ends up becoming. And I thought his stock would have risen up more in the draft process than it actually did. But if he ends up getting some traction as an NFL quarterback, I think people are going to look back and go, man, he, his career was really kind of mishandled the way it was there at Auburn. It just definitely didn't feel like he had the career I think a lot of us thought he might have. Now, he didn't have a bad career. but And sometimes that stuff, fair or unfair, you know, how a star player, how a quarterback is is handled or what happens to them usually has a lot to do with somebody's legacy. I had one other name I wanted to get, and this, again, may fit in the category of an older coach, but like at this stage of his career, but since you put up Brian Kelly, I'm going to put up Mark D'Antonio. I don't see him going on to the NFL. I don't see him going anywhere after Michigan State. Do we know if there's ever been any interest uh, from the I don't. You know, it's interesting because he's a guy, I would think, you know, has that kind of Belichick, a little bit of that DNA in him. He was really, really successful. I'd be I'm I don't know this. I honestly don't know the answer. If anybody's ever kicked the tires on uh, Mark D'Antonio as an NFL head coach, possibly. I mean, the interesting thing is that he would be exactly the kind of coach who I think would have been intriguing five years ago. But now, rather than mining college for the next generation of pro-style coaches, let's put it this way: if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury has success quickly with the Cardinals. All the air raid coaches are suddenly going to become candidates for NFL jobs. All of them? Even even the craziest one of them all? Even the craziest one of them all, but... Where would you, which would you rather see Mike Leach do? Coach in the NFL or coach in the SEC? Coach in the SEC. Now, that's a little bit selfish on my part, obviously, because then I would get to write about it still. But I think you need that element of like the crazy college fan base to go with it. Not that there aren't crazy NFL fan bases, the NFL is just such a such a business. I mean, I would love. Wouldn't you love Mike to see Mike Leach on the booster circuit at like Tennessee, Tennessee, like going to all these small towns in Tennessee throughout the off season doing his shtick? Can you imagine? Mike doesn't. That? Mike doesn't do much of that. Well, maybe he could get out of it the way Jeremy. Pru- I think Jeremy Pruitt just got out of it this year. They're going to send the mascot in his place. But, you know, Mike uh, Tennessee Leach, fans aren't thrilled about that. I don't know if I'm breaking news here, but Mike Leach is headed to the Middle East. He's going to, like, Israel and Jordan and Turkey. I mean, I don't know if he's going to do – I'm not saying he doesn't do any booster functions for Wazoo, but, I mean, he goes all over the place and just disappears for a couple of months. How about the first weekly press conference on a Monday morning after his team blew a 21-3 to lead and, you know, it's it's – the biggest thing going on in the state that week. Yeah, that would have been that would have been definitely interesting. I honestly don't think we're going to see that, but I think there was a small window for it and it didn't happen. So, anything else, or should we just go ahead and open in the mailbag? Let's go to the mailbag, Stu. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we always appreciate these really creative ones that make us think. Like this first one from Sam Christensen. Dear Stu and Bruce, hypothetical question for you this offseason. You have been hired to build a national championship winning college football program within the next five years. 
You've been given an unlimited operating budget to build facilities, hire coaches, get takeout, etc. Is that really one of the priorities when you're building? I guess so. You're not going to have time to eat, I guess. <laughs> take out. <laughs> I just <laughs> missed. I just skipped. I, I, I skipped that past one. that the first time. I didn't faci- build facilities, hire coaches, get takeout, etc. What conference would you choose? What, so we're basically it's an expansion franchise. What conference would you choose for the university? We'll call them Mandel State University and Bruce U. What division? Why? And then what state city would you place the university in? Why? And who do you hire as athletic director and head coach? Lots of mull over there. Okay, can I start with who I would hire as my ADs? Yes. I'm guessing we're going to have the same, we may have the same guy, but I have two options. The first one I would have is Joe Castiglione. And if not him, I would have Chris Del Conte, who's now the AD at Texas. Both are great fundraisers. Both, I've heard, have been great bosses. And I think that's really important, both categories of that. For head coaches, it's hard for me not to say Nick Saban because I think he's, and I don't think this is even much up for debate. I think he's the best college football coach we've ever had. To say Dabo or to say somebody else at this point, I don't know. I feel like you're just kind of trying to say something different. What do you think? So I did go back and forth. I, mean, I don't know why anybody would answer this with, with somebody else than, besides those two. And I did go back and forth on it. Um, I think I'm going to say Dabo only because he kind of did build an expansion franchise. You know, obviously Alabama has done it before. Uh, not to this extent that they've done under Saban, but they, they have that history. You know, Dabo really was, has done something completely unprecedented at Clemson. So I think he's my coach. And I think to answer his other part of the question, I think I want to put, I want to put it in the ACC. Where, how about you? I want to put it in the Pac-12 okay. because it's ripe for the taking. And I would stick it in Los Angeles because that's where I've stuck myself. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's, but there's a lot of players here. And I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity here because it is not, I mean, recruiting is intense still. Mario's definitely probably made it more intense since he got to Oregon. But it's not like it's not quite as nasty as it is in the SEC and that footprint. So I'm going to put it in the ACC, and I'm going to put it in the state of Georgia. Now, I know a couple weeks ago you were ready to turn Georgia Tech into the next national championship contender. So maybe you'll say that this is unnecessary for me even to do this. But, you know, it is challenging for Georgia Tech in that they're an engineering school, and there aren't a lot of great... I mean, you, you there aren't, like, majors where you can stash the kids. that Like, they basically have to go into that program, from what I understand, or or something pretty close to it. And I think that that limits their talent pool just a little bit. It's not the world's biggest alumni base. Now, obviously, we're starting from scratch, so I don't think we have any alumni base. But I could have said Florida. I could have said Texas. I could have said California. But there's already so much competition in those states. Right now, it's UGA and a little bit Georgia Tech, and that's it. And it's in a state that now has is clearly number four in terms of number of of elite college football recruits that are coming out of the state and so then why the acc so that we don't get our uh so we don't have to play alabama and georgia and yeah but you gotta play you gotta play clemson you gotta play clemson they'll be our um they'll definitely be our nemesis they'll definitely be the ones that that maybe are you know we're gonna have to get past but i like my chances i like the fact that florida state's in a bit of disarray uh, Virginia Tech's in a bit of disarray. You wrote a great story last week about Miami and Manny Diaz. I do feel really confident in him, but it's not like 
they've really had their act together recently. So I feel like we can I feel like we can get to the upper part of the conference quicker than we can in in the other ones. Do you have uh, any key assistants you wanted to add to the, to your staff? Well, we'd love to, to we'd love to lure Brent Venables away from Clemson. That would probably be our first assignment because he knows he's great and he knows the conference and he knows that part of the country. He did say we have unlimited resources, so I guess I could just pay him more than whatever Clemson's paying him. Okay, well that's fair enough. Who, um, who are you going after for your LA school? For my LA school, I am going to hire Jimmy Lake as my defensive coordinator. He's done a great job in the Pac-12, and he knows this area to recruit. I'm going to hire Jeff Banks as the special teams coordinator. He's at Alabama. He was a great recruiter wherever he's been, and he is a Southern California native, so I know he can recruit here. I think O-line's a critical job, and I had two choices. It's either going to be Bill Biedenboe, who's at OU, or Sam Pittman, who's at Georgia. Now, neither one of those guys is is Southern California connected, but... We can afford that, I think, with some of the other staff, and I just think they're really, really good at what they do. I mean, to me, those are the core pieces. What I found looking for OCs is almost all those guys who I would have thought of are now head coaches. That's exactly right. You know, as soon as there's a hot OC, they become a head coach. Yeah, so I don't know. I would like to have Josh Gaddis on my staff, but he's still unproven as a OC. He's now at Michigan getting his chance. It's interesting enough that one of the guys I considered is already here, and he's making a lot of money, and it's his birthday today, and that's Graham Harrell. Get out of here. Graham Harrell shares a birthday with our very own Chantel Jennings. By the way, Graham Harrell, and one of the positives, I think, of the Graham Harrell piece of this hire would be Graham Harrell and Bill Biedenboe, both air raid guys, uh, both know each other pretty well from their Texas Tech days, so there should be some decent symmetry there. I just don't know how Nick Saban would feel about running some version of the air raid. Speaking of Nick Saban, if if money is no object here, we're going to try to lure Scott Cochran away from Alabama to be our strength coach. Yeah, I think he's more than a strength coach for that program. I think that would make uh, that would make a lot of sense. By the way, he tried to hire Jimmy Lake at one point, so so we're going to partner them up on this team, on at least my team over here. Did we miss? Would anything? you? I don't think so. What, is there a takeout you want to have, though? <laughs> I mean, we need to ask that, I guess. I'll have to make sure that wherever we're setting up in Georgia is near a Jimmy John's. And if not, I'll take some of my unlimited resources to start a Jimmy John's franchise. To I'm, not, sure I'm not really nearby. feeling Jim. I'm not a big Jimmy John's guy. Yeah, that's to me. I so, would take Jersey Mike's over Jimmy John's 100 times out of 100 times. Well, I eat at Jersey Mike's all the time because there's one right near my house. But there's, there's, there is no Jimmy John's down here in the South Bay, but there is one in San Francisco around the corner from the athletics offices. So whenever I go visit those guys, we go to Jimmy's. What's, what's your go-to from Jimmy John's, by the way? It's the Beach Club, which is um, turkey, avocado, mayo, provolone, and tomatoes, but I to get those taken off. Um, that's my go-to. Okay. Uh, all right, next question is from Tim in Atlanta. Hey, Bruce, and I guess you too, Stu. Ooh, this is probably another person who's, uh, who's not happy with snarky Stu at this point of the, of the uh, offseason. Him been in Atlanta? Deba- yeah. Been, deb- we uh, been debating Bowden versus Saban lately and would like your thoughts. Most people just lazily point to six titles and call Saban the GOAT. But I think that is largely the result of the BCS and playoff making regular season losses far more forgivable. Some stats for you. One undefeated title each, eight one-loss regular seasons each. Both went effectively six and two in bowls in those two seasons. 
Four of those Saban seasons were two-game playoffs. For those one-loss seasons, Saban got five national titles while Bowden only got one. Bowden has a 14-year run of top five finishes and never lost more than two games in a season. Saban has finished in the top five in eight of the last ten years, a nine times total with one three-loss season in the current run. Bowden was 11-3 in bowls in those 14 years. Saban was 11-5 in the 11 years, plus his LSU title year. Again, four of those Saban years were two-game playoffs. Thanks for Tim in Atlanta. Stu, I got some thoughts. What do you think first? That 14-year run of top four finishes by Bobby Bowden, like nobody would ever question. That's one of the great accomplishments. It's it's like some of the things we've talked about in the past. You don't want to diminish the other person's case and making mm-hmm. the case for the other. But the thing that he's bringing up is kind of a, something against Saban, the fact that a lot of these involve two-game playoffs, to me is the end of the argument. Bobby Bowden never had to be in a two-game playoff. Saban, not only has he been in them, he's managed to make the national. He's managed to win that semi, get into the national championship. By the way, win a conference championship before that, which uh, the ACC didn't have during that 14-year run. So it seems to me that he's had to do more to get to to get those championships and to get those one-loss seasons than Bowden had to do. Yeah, and I think you said this earlier on the podcast. We were talking about what the ACC looked like when FSU came in there. It's nowhere near as tough as what the SEC has been. I think what what hurt Bobby Bowden to some degree was the fact that he went up against Miami a lot, and he lost. Uh, I mean, if Miami wasn't what Miami was for largely his career, and it was a bunch of different head coaches that he went up against, Bobby Bowden probably might have seven national titles. But that you can't, you know, can't say that. Now, one thing I think is fair to point out while we're kind of like, you know, maybe nitpicking this thing, I'm going to go through Bobby Bowden, Bobby Bowden's Knowles won the national title in, uh, in 1993. Take how many guess how many top 25 teams they beat that year to do it. I'm going to say that they probably beat three, right? Florida, Miami and Florida were probably ranked and then maybe one conference team. Stu, they beat six top 25 teams. Wow. Top 20 teams in the list. They, they beat a number 17 Clemson team 57 to nothing. Then the next week, they went to North Carolina, beat number 13 North Carolina 33 to 7. They blew out number three Miami 28 to 10. Blew out number 15 Virginia 40 to 14. They lost by a touchdown to Notre Dame on the road. And then they finished the year. They beat. Florida and Gainesville handily 33-21 to and then beat number two Nebraska in a very close Orange Bowl. So, yes, it wasn't as deep as what I think the SEC is, but they, you know, obviously they had a ton of stars and, you know, he really had that thing going. I don't, I don't want to say I think Bobby Bowden was an underrated coach because I feel like I think most people recognize Bobby Bowden as one of the probably 10 best college football coaches. I mean, if if you're saying, and I think you're agreeing with me, that Nick Saban's your number one on your list, who is number two on your list? Well, first of all, I just wanted to—one thing I want to say in Bowden's uh, defense, or, or an argument for him, he did not shy away from tough non-conference opponents. And obviously, you know, Saban's formula has been play one high-profile team on a neutral site and three nobodies. You know, the reason—you mentioned that schedule before, you know, that, that they would go play in addition to— Florida and Miami, who was out of conference then, they played mm-hmm. throw Notre Dame on there too, so they weren't ducking anybody. All right, well, if Bobby Bowden. Okay, so to answer your question, 
Uh, if I'm saying Saban is the greatest of all time, who's number two? It's either Bowden or Bear Bryant. And I can't say that I've like re- really ever dissected that. But do you have a lean? I would say Bear Bryant. That was my, you know, kind of my default that Saban has kind of pushed past. You know, you could start getting into guys who honestly were way before our time, whether it's like a Frank Leahy or somebody like that. But for me, it'd be Bear Bryant. And then, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of a drop off, you know. Well, there are some Penn State fans listening right now that are going to go, what do you mean there's a drop off? I mean, there's, there's always, a drop-off, sorry. There is always Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden for the <laughs> I mean, title if of you're going to say coach. Joe Paterno, wouldn't you just as easily say Tom Osborne then? Yes. I mean, well, what are you going by national titles or overall run? Yeah, I mean, I'm going by, you know, Tom Osborne adapted. You know, like the teams that, that, that drilled him in the 80s by Miami, you know, he, he, he got his defense faster and shifted some of the, you know, he adapted to some of that. So I don't know. I mean, there's a but there's you know argument for Bud Wilkinson. I think there's argument for Barry Switzer. Probably argument for Newt Rockney. Again, this is another one way before. How do you? Time. Let me ask you this: with Bowden and Paterno, like Tom Osborne went out on top. Those three national titles in four years were right at the end, and he retired. Mm-hmm. With Bowden and Paterno, how do you measure all the great things they did versus, in both cases, the last decade or so of their career? They were clearly on the downward turn. I, you know, I got to be perfectly honest. It's a lot easier to talk about Bobby Bowden in this discussion than I feel like it is to talk about Joe Paterno. And I'm not saying because Bobby Bowden, did, you know, didn't, I, I think, and this is from talking to people who work there. One of the things that hurt Bobby Bowden was the dynamic on his staff shifted, you know, guys left who had very specific roles and the chemistry kind of got messy and eventually they kind of backslid. Whereas Penn state, and it's not to say that, that, that there weren't negative headlines at, at Florida State, but just Penn State, with the way, you know, the end of Joe Paterno's era is so messy to talk about, you know, because of the Sandusky stuff, that it's just really complicated, I think. Yeah, like. well, I don't, I don't know how you, you know, I was thinking purely in terms of X's and O's. I don't know how you even begin to, if you're going to, like, start, if you're going to incorporate that in there, how does it disqualify him entirely? Does it, you know, do, I mean, it seems to me that you can't just say, well, the Sandusky thing happened, so we're dropping him from third to fifth. Yeah. You, either you're going to say he's one of the greatest of all time, or you're going to say, I can't stand for what happened. He could have headed this off so much earlier, and I just, I don't even want to talk about him in the discussion. It doesn't seem like there's really like an in-between. No, you're right. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to go, yeah, but so-and-so cheated. Everybody knew it was like an open secret that they were you know, paying players. And I, I just think that's a hard thing to get into as well, because, you know, short of somebody getting hammered by the NCAA to the point where they lost their job, uh, it's just it's just hard to get into speculative stuff on that front. Right. Um, we probably went down a rabbit hole that we're going to regret having gone down. It's going to cause some emails to us from... Penn State fans, so I will just brace for that, but at that address called theaudiblepod at gmail.com. So at the end of the day, we both decided to save it over Bowden, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. This guy seems to make it onto the podcast regularly, Johnny Shee. Hey, guys. Love the podcast, and I will go to iTunes and give you the five stars you deserve. Thank you, Johnny. I was never a soccer fan. Later in life, I realized that the European leagues promote and demote teams based on their record. If you two were czars of college football, could you go through the Power Five and promote or demote teams in and out of each conference? 
Look out, Kansas. It's your time. You know, before we do this, I just want to say that we're not going to be the first ones to have done this. I know Bill Connolly and those guys at SB Nation have done at least a couple times the relegation concept for college football, in print at least. That doesn't mean we can't do it again, though. All right. Can I pick? Uh, I'll pick a league, and then you pick a league. How about that? So the idea, is the idea here just that we're going to relegate somebody, or then we're going to promote a group of five team in their place? Both. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to start with uh, the conference we are based around, and that is the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. You and I both live on, in California. Sorry, Jonathan Smith. I'm going to relegate Oregon State, and I'm going to pull up Boise. Now, I don't know how it fits with other sports, but uh, a few years ago I did that game. It was in Corvallis, and Boise drilled Oregon State 35-7. to I think if you add Boise, I think it would make the conference a little stronger, especially in the – you know, not that the – the, the North isn't already a really good division, but I think it would only make it that much stronger. Are we, we're not, so this, well, I want to make it clear, like this is not, we're not talking about conference realignment. We're not talking about TV sets or anything like that. This is just, No, we're just talking about how do you make the, you know, yeah. what would make the product on the field different? And here, I'm going to throw something to you. He mentioned Kansas. Like, I don't know, and I get it, TV, football is the thing that brings the money in. Kansas basketball is obviously a you know, powerhouse. So if you take that out, that does affect the Big 12 product in some capacity. So uh, obviously Oregon State's the obvious one there. But I would actually promote, because from what I understand about relegation, it's season to season. So I would promote Fresno State, the reigning, uh, the reigning champs who won, I believe, 11 games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations, Jeff Tedford. You are back in the Pac-12. For the, for the for the Big Twelve, I'm going to take out Kansas. Sorry, Les Miles, uh, and I'm going to bring in North Dakota State. They've won games against the the Big Twelve. I would love to see what they would do regularly against the Big Twelve or Big Ten schedule. Wow, that is that's a heck of a promotion. If I knew European soccer better, I would be able to make some sort of analogy here because you're <laughs> you're promoting them basically from two levels down. Uh, you're skipping past Group of Five and straight up to the Big 12. Obviously, Kansas Kansas has to go in its place. Hmm, the challenge here is there's not like a geographic obvious equivalent Part. to the Big 12, right? Good. You, can, you can take my idea. North Dakota State would be a nice fit. And then Chris Kleiman would immediately have to play his, uh, his yeah, former his school. Old team. I'm not saying that that's not a good idea, but I just want to be a little bit different from you. I think... I am going to stick the NIU Huskies into the Big 12. Okay. The Big 10, I think you're going to take Rutgers out, aren't you? Yes, I'm most definitely going to be taking Rutgers out. Uh, my, my idea would be to stick Cincinnati in there. You? That's Okay, that one we're, we're, we have the same idea on. Okay. Now I don't know. Uh, it, 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 I don't know the rules here. I mean, Cincinnati has not actually did not actually win its conference last year. The rules are whatever you want them to be, Stu. Yeah. It's okay. The Wait, I'm gonna. Won. Can I have a do-over? Um, yeah. I think if I do this over and I'm gonna move Houston up to the Big Twelve because that just makes a little bit more geographic sense, and then I'm gonna stick NIU, which did win its conference, into the Big Ten. I think you should. Do your Houston thing, and then take North Dakota State and stick them in the big. They beat Iowa. Stick them in the big Big Ten. Just I uh, bet you, you if North Dakota State, along. 
I bet you if North Dakota State played NIU ten times, they beat them seven times. Probably. Look, NIU wasn't even particularly good last year, but they've they've uh, they went eight and six. All right, you've convinced me. I don't want NIU in this anymore. <laughs> I'm not really sure what. Okay, so we're going. The hardest one for me is the ACC. So we're going North Dakota State to the Big Twelve and Cincinnati to the Big Ten. All right, I'm on board with that. Okay. The ACC to me is very hard ever since, uh, not that Jim Grove didn't do a terrific job there, but uh, Dave Clawson's done a really nice job at Wake Forest. I, I think they're a hard team. I like, it's tough for me to punt them for anybody. And so I don't know who else. Well, you know, based Syracuse, solely on last year, you would have to punt Louisville. They were awful. No, they, uh, let's just punt the coach who's gone. <laughs> and you already, you might have relegated app state anyway so that trade was made yeah well it's not if it's not louisville then it's going to be unc sorry mac brown but you're going to be starting your tenure there in the Sun Belt. wow conference usa wow okay i don't know what you know and so we're moving app state into the acc i move app state in the acc but i don't i haven't taken anybody out okay you have to decide who to take out i mean louisville had that terrible year last year it was and, one terrible year. But it was year. one terrible year. UNC's been terrible for a couple years. Yeah, man. One in so 11 like, and two so, in nine. So, so Scott, Scott Satterfield finally gets some group of five, or some power five finally does the smart thing and hires him. And now we're going to stick him back to where he is. Only his school, is, his <laughs> old school, his alma mater, no less, is going to get bumped up. Um, well, somebody who follows soccer needs to tell us what the order of events is there. Like, would they get, would they get relegated before... They would be making that higher because then obviously Scott Satterfield would pick his school accordingly. Right. Uh, look, you're you're probably right. I think I think you got to take Louisville out over North Carolina just because the way they got drilled, the way they did last year, losing you know not just two and ten, but getting blown off the field. Right. The SEC. The SEC is kind of a no-brainer to me, at least. Arkansas. Somebody somebody that would know who follows the SEC very closely told me last year that. Last year's Arkansas team was the worst team the SEC has had since they went to divisional play. Yeah, well, which is okay. saying something. You would think it would be a Vandy team at some point, or or I don't know. I mean, they've been in divisional play since 1992, but they did go two and ten, zero and eight in the SEC. Got drilled by North Texas. So, I mean, the only other possible candidate would be the Vols. Yeah, and I mean, look, they've had a couple clunker of years. I don't think you can relegate Tennessee. So well, and if uh, we're putting App State in the Sun Belt, then I mean, in the ACC, I think we know who we're putting in the SEC, right? Who are you putting in there? Troy. That's what I. Th- you know what? That was going to be my idea too. I didn't think that was that much of a slam dunk, though. Well, they basically tied last year. Uh, App State won the conference, I believe. It was the first year they did the conference championship game. But they tied with Troy. Uh, App State went eleven and two. Troy went ten and three. Georgia Southern quietly went ten and three as well. But they finished third in that division. So I mean, both App State and Troy have had several good seasons in a row. So they would definitely be the ones to get the call up. You know who? If we had done this last year, you know what would have been fun about this? Sorry, Greg Sankey. You know who might have might have been back in the league? The FAU Owls. And yeah, Kiffin. It's true. And that would have been fun. So here's another thing I don't understand about relegation promotion. If you do this every year, like our teams possibly bouncing back and forth from year to year, because also from what I understand, like once you get bounced down, 
Like you can't even you, you have to basically shed your roster. You can't afford your roster anymore because it's pretty harsh. Not only do you just move down, but you lose all the money. You know, like for instance, okay, Louisville. Now you're in the where did we put them? Conference USA. Uh, yes. So that, in in pure, in college football today, no, that we would... Put them, well, we put them in the Sun Belt, because we, we were pulling up App State. At least well, we should probably have put them in Conference USA, because then aren't we going to put Arkansas in the Sun Belt? Wouldn't that make more sense? Conference USA, uh, they can play against Marshall and, you know, teams that are a little bit I mean, Conference USA, they can still play against North Texas, and they can play against Louisiana Tech. That's not that far apart. So really, you know interchangeable anyway whatever the case they would go from getting you know 30 something million dollars a year from the acc to like four million dollars a year for one of those group of five schools that that's this is why it's just fun to talk about it could never happen in reality because like okay well we've been we've been relegated because our football team's bad now we have to cut half our olympic sports because we can't afford to fund them anymore yeah all right, Stu, before we get back to the podcast, you've become an expert at hiring people since you got to The Athletic. You got any secrets you could share with people? You've got to be a relentless recruiter, Bruce. you gotta, you got to put the full Nick Saban, Kirby Smart out there to get what you want. Also, you can make it easier on yourself and use ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And ZipRecruiter, Bruce, is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. That's pretty impressive. That is impressive. It's hard to beat that kind of response. And right now, Bruce, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B, as in the audible Stu Bruce. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter.com, the smartest way to hire. Uh, last question is from Ian McFarland from uh, La Cunada, California. Thanks for the continued great work, Bruce and Stu. This decade has been dominated by Alabama and, to a lesser extent, Clemson and Ohio State. But the story of the decade has been the perennial powers who haven't contended for a national title throughout. USC, Michigan, LSU haven't made a serious threat. Haven't made a serious threat throughout the 2010s. Did you just unintentionally or intentionally skip past Miami in his list? You know, I think as I was doing that, I was trying to process in my head. Did USC, because USC had, you know, when Sam Darnold was there, they were won a Rose Bowl. They wasn't like they were terrible. Well. You know, and USC, and by the way, LSU played for a national title in the 2010s. Yeah, I actually don't think, that's the one I would take out. I mean, in fact, the one he doesn't have in there that's the most obvious is Texas, right? So USC, right. Michigan, Miami, Miami, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Who is the current power with the biggest threat to disappear in the 2020s? For the sake of argument, we'll call anyone who has made the playoff, save for perhaps Michigan State, a quote-unquote power. I like this okay. question. It, bring, it reminds me of something. So, I mean, it's true, right? Like, you, things you don't you, – it seems like these schools are going to stay good forever, and then they drop off the face of the earth. And, you know, last decade, the answer to this question for most of the decade would have been Alabama. 
you know, they weren't really a, a factor in the uh, 2000. Certainly Clemson wasn't a factor. You know, there's been some, some um, cyclical changes there. So with that in mind... When By I the was, way, if, he, if he's taking out Michigan State, there aren't a lot of options here. Right? Well, Florida that's because State. they never... They never seem obvious at the time. Would there's, you have there's guessed? One to me that's, there's one to me that seems that stands out from the others, and that's Florida State. If I had told you in 2009 that Texas it was about to go through a decade run of mediocrity, you wouldn't, it wouldn't even seem comprehensible. So this this is going to involve guessing at something that just doesn't seem possible. But you're right. Florida By the way, State in, the, in, the, in the art of shameless self-promotion, I'm going to read to you something uh, from the story I did on Miami. And honestly, it's music that is not something that I'm, you know, I'm a, necessarily a fan of. But Manny Diaz had, an, had a reference. Now, remember, Manny Diaz was hired at Texas after they started to really fall apart. Uh, I think the year before he got there, they were five and seven. And so he is talking about when it kind of goes bad. And I think this is kind of gets to the core of, of uh, you know, kind of what what we're talking about or what what uh, Ian McFarland's question is, where you don't see it coming, but then all of a sudden, I don't say the bottom drops out, but you really start to backslide. This is Manny's Manny's quote. I do believe this, and I think this is not Miami specific. It just takes a class or two that, for whatever reason, where guys miss, and all of a sudden. Because the shelf life of a football team is so short, the program backslides. There's a great line from a Radiohead song, Fake Plastic Trees, that says, Gravity always wins. To me, that is one of the most amazingly profound statements ever, because it does. And even in college football, where you think, where you see a program and think, will they ever not be great? Because when they're rolling, you think, I can't ever see this not being this way. And without exception, they've all fallen. It's just unavoidable. That speaks to this question exactly. And and he's right. You know, I think Florida State's in the predicament it is right now because a couple of those top three rated Jimbo Fisher classes did not did not materialize, did not turn out to be that. Hey, I remember, um, you know, this is a long time ago and I was talking to somebody I was friends with back. This is not long after I moved here. And we're out at a bar, and at the end of the night, it's one thirty or 2 in the morning, we're going to our cars, you know, to, to, to call it a night. And we got in this discussion about USC, and this person's point was that they're about to go on a run that's never been seen in college football. And they had already been in the midst of this, but the part that I think was giving this more life was, well, look at all the five stars and four stars and all the talent in the pipeline. And my argument to that, and look, Nick Saban to a large degree has kind of has kind of toppled this, but we'd never whether it was Miami or Nebraska or whoever else, it's just there's something gets in the way. Something got in the way of USC. There were scholarship sanctions that were hefty and Pete Carroll moved on. And it's not been close to that since. And it just for whatever reason, and look, that Miami story I did kind of gets into how that place lost its way. And I just think, you know, again, and, and Manny's comment about being at Texas when that thing started to plummet was just it gets into where things go a little bad and the kids who were recruited to the team that had already won it all, they think they're part of it but they because they were recruited to it, but they didn't win it, and it's different. And it just kind of 
something changes and you again you're dealing with 18 and 19 year olds and and that's often how it starts to backslide so we're avoiding the elephant in the room pun intended Alabama's run, you know, is not going to go on forever. Nick Saban's going to retire at some point, and I would assume it'll be in the earlier part of next decade. So at that point, maybe before, maybe it'll start to go bad before he leaves. I don't know. I guess Alabama's my answer here just because of gravity. Like, it can't go on forever. At some point, exactly what you're talking about that happened to Texas, USC, will happen to them. I don't know when that will be. And I think... Because they've been doing this for so long, like that seems like it will happen sooner than, for example, Clemson. Clemson feels like they're just at the beginning of this this run. Georgia feels like they're just at the beginning of potentially a run. Um, can I give you two other options? Sure. You can weigh, weigh them. Again, he's saying 2020, so that's only two years away. You're saying Alabama, and that's a meaty answer. Florida State is an easier choice because they're already... You know they're gonna have to build up. They're already struggling. You know, yeah, it's, you, it's that seems almost now for, too that's obvious. E- yeah, because their e- decline e- has already begun. One answer. Yeah, and again, preface this by saying from Ian's e- the way Ian couched this, there aren't a lot of options because there's probably only about eight teams that have been in the playoff, right? Um, without having counted them all up, so I wouldn't put or I wouldn't put Washington in there. I would not put Oregon in there. The one thing I wondered about, and again, you kind of talked about Brian Kelly at the beginning of this conversation about not going to the NFL. After Brian Kelly, can Notre Dame sustain it? I mean, Notre Dame had a had a real downturn after Lou Holtz left, and that's not an easy job to win at. Now, there's a lot of resources, but again, it's, it's it can be a challenging job. So is Notre Dame a better answer than Alabama is? Probably just because... It's not like Notre Dame's been consistently in the mix this decade. They've had a couple great seasons, and they've had a couple others where I thought injury bug hit them hard, and if it hadn't, they might have been in the mix as well. But then, the, you know, you had a four and eight season in there. They've had some eight and five seasons in there. It's not like they've been uh, what I, you know, what we would picture to be the downfall of a program. It's I don't think they're necessarily at the same starting point. So yeah, I mean, it's possible that the next coach wouldn't even be able to have these the 2012 and 2018 peaks that Brian Kelly's had. All right, well, I liked your bold pick on Alabama. I wouldn't have done that, but... What about... Uh, I'll throw one at you. Ohio State. No, I think that they're positioned well. I mean, I think I think Ryan Day is... I don't know if he's going to win as many national titles as Urban Meyer did. I don't know if he's going to win any, to be honest, but I think because the, the structure is there, because he's got Mickey Marotti especially... That's the old strength coach, and those guys are key to keeping everything running. I think they're going to – I don't know. If you said to me over, under on on, because I saw this in your mailbag, 1.5, would, will Ryan Day win more than one national title there? I bet he does win a national title there. I just don't know if he's going to win more than that. But To I be clear, the mailbag question was about Saban. It was, yes. 1.5. But, but you, so you're going out there right now predicting that Ryan Day will win a national title at Ohio State. I think he will. I think okay. he's. I think he's made some really smart staff decisions. I've heard great things about Jeff Hafley, the defensive coordinator, from people within football, uh, and a lot of people in the NFL. So I like his chances to win a national title there. So I would not yeah. put Ohio State on that. List. I would not put Ohio State in it just because in my time, you know, since I first became aware of college football, Ohio State is the only program that has never gone through one of these dips. You know, like Oklahoma before Bob Stoops was bad for a decade 
Alabama was bad for almost 15 years. Nebraska was bad for a long time. Like, Ohio State, you know, whether it's John Cooper, whether it's Jim Trestle, whether it's Urban Meyer, they're always winning 10, 11. I mean, Urban took it to another level, but generally speaking, they're always in that 10, 11, uh, 12-win range. So, and that's going all the way back to the, I'm looking at it now, you know, they had a little bit of a dip in the early 90s, and then starting in 93, it's 10 win seasons almost every year. There's a couple dips. There's the, the uh, year when the when year Trussell Fickle was the down. coach. Yeah, Luke Fickle took over. In 99, I really don't remember this, but in 99, they went 6-6. Six and six. But Other than that, they're always a top perennial team. So, you know, the, now the, the flip side of this question is, and I was going to bring this up earlier, every decade there is one of these fallen powers that's, that rescues itself, whether it was... Oklahoma in the 2000s and Alabama this past decade and Clemson I, now Clemson now I remember so Clemson would have been in so Andy Staples and I were both at SI at the time and it was 2010 and we did a project or a feature that was you know basically 10 predictions for this this decade that we're now in that's almost over does uh, this still exist online can I find it it's so hard to find anything from si.com pre-2013 because they long story they cnn it's just really hard try certainly try but it is hard one of the things we got wrong we attempted to guess which two you know brand name teams would rise up in that decade and they were and i remember vividly we guessed tennessee and ucla oops wow i wish we had said clemson and um florida state that would have been, you would you would have won if you had said that. So who's that going to be this next decade? Oh man, that's that's a tough one. I think, you know, you can't say Georgia because they've been they've been very good, right? It's got to be somebody who has just been not a uh, you know not a top ten team or not close to it. I think it might be Texas. I think uh, I know it's only been one year, and uh, people are gonna make fun of me. The Texas is back, but you know I do think Tom Herman's the right coach, and and we could be seeing a renaissance there. Okay. Would you? So who? All right. So let's put these teams in in a little batch here, and, and maybe there's somebody we're leaving out. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say the team, and you give me the percent chance that in the next ten years they will win a national title. Okay. And these are these are what I would call downtrodden former powerhouses. Percent chance that they'll win a national title in the next ten years. Yeah, got it. Tennessee, seven percent. Seven. Okay. Miami, twelve percent. FSU. By the way, it's really hard to win a national title. That's why these percentages are. So I low. get it. I get it. Uh, FSU. It ain't going to be in the next few years. That's for sure. Twenty percent. Wow, that's a pretty big number. It's a bigger number than Miami. And Miami's Just because probably, they're yeah. one of the few programs that has done it, you know, quite a bit. Okay. Uh, you, I mean, look, they've done it more recently than Miami has. They haven't won as many, but UCLA. National title, huh? Yeah. 2%. Okay, so you have Tennessee at 7, UCLA at 2. USC. Um, what did I say for Florida State, 20? Yeah. I'll go 25 for USC. Nebraska. 0.5%. Ouch. Ouch. You know and I, you and I disagree on this. I think they can be very good under Scott Frost. I don't think they can win a national title. Texas. Do I ever get to hear your percentages? You can after this. Okay. Texas. 
25%. I don't think I can go above 25% just because then you're starting to say, like, there's a very good chance it's going to happen. Okay. Is there anybody I've left out? Those are the... Those are the seven. I mean, I, I Florida's been good. I don't want to put Florida in there. Let's put Florida in there. Yeah, I mean, Florida would, I think, qualify as somebody who okay. has had a hard decade. I'll put them at um, 18%. Okay. I think that's it. I don't think we can go in with one of these SEC uh, West schools because I feel like most of them have been good enough. It's not like they've fallen off. Okay, so... Uh, let's... You, want me, you want me to walk it? Oh back? wait, there's one. There's a couple more that we need to weigh in on in the Big Ten. Not that these teams have been terrible by any means, but it's been a long time since they played for a national title. Michigan. Okay, get, what's your number on Michigan? Twelve percent. Okay, and then why don't you do Penn State while we're at it? Seventeen percent. Okay. That is solely about having more faith in the which one I have more faith in the current coach because okay. they otherwise I'd have them. Equal. Okay, I think I think you've you've hit them all. Okay. Eh, you know what? Notre Dame. Notre Dame hasn't. They played for national titles, but they haven't won anything. Fifteen. Okay. All right. So, and somebody who's a math expert will tell me that. Will tell us you can't that, have these. Yeah, yeah, you can't have these numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So working backwards, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame for me, I will put ten percent. Okay. Uh, Michigan. Michigan, I will put at 20%. That's pretty high. It is pretty high. Penn State. I'll put Penn State at 15%. Nebraska. I'll put Nebraska at 4%. Okay, so it wasn't like you were that much higher than me. I'll put Nebraska at, I'll put Nebraska at 6%. 6%, okay. Yeah. Florida State. I'll put Florida State at 12%. Miami. I'll put Miami at 20%. Florida. I'll put Florida at 15%. Texas. I'll put Texas at... Ugh, I'm going to have to steal yours. I'm going to put Texas at 25%. And USC. I'm going to put USC at... In the next decade? Yep. I'm going to put USC... You're going to... You're going to yell at this. I want to put USC at 39%. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't I don't know what's like the high end for this realistically, but I would have them at the high end just because when they have the right coach, they're probably one of the five schools that has the most things in place to do it, you know, at least historically they have. I mean, think about how many different decades USC has won a national championship in, right? Yeah. John McKay won four. Obviously Pete won a couple. I mean, they've been really good at, you know, with a bunch of different other coaches. And John McCabe, uh, John Robinson won some. So, you know, a lot of stuff is in place. We're there, So there's two other schools. You had Tennessee for 7%. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop Tennessee down to 5%. Okay. I'm actually going to drop down Tennessee down to 4%. And UCLA? I'm going to put UCLA at... I'm going to put UCLA at 6%. So that was the same as Nebraska. So you, do you have that any? Is, I can't remember. Did you have any lower than six percent? Yeah, I have Tennessee at four percent. Tennessee at four percent. Okay, that was actually a uh, good idea coming up with that idea. Okay, so I have I have written these down. So, oh, <laughs> so when our kids are in high school, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this out. I don't know what what format's gonna be. I'm gonna say, hey, look look how right or wrong we were on this. You know, there's only one we really agree on, and that's Texas. I feel like the one we're the furthest apart on are is USC, and just because I think you're more conservative than I am. Otherwise, I think we're pretty similar. You know, I'm a little lower than you on Notre Dame. I'm higher on you on Miami and Michigan, and I'm certainly higher than you on Nebraska. And I think, I don't know, Nebraska is a weird one for me because I think that's definitely one where I've seen them play in person, and I've been around Scott Frost and that staff for a couple off seasons, and I am drinking the Kool-Aid. But yeah, I get, like I've said I, I in the past, yeah, they're yeah, I, they're part of my theory that you have to have top ten recruiting classes to win the national title. They're probably not going to do that very often. But Scott Frost is part of the one program that has almost proven that wrong a couple times in Oregon. So, all right, thanks guys. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octave. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over